You're listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of Mastering Retention. We have a really special, uh, it's kind of a, a panel today. Uh, we've got two awesome guys. We've got Chris and Patrick, and, and we're going to be talking all about uh, what is a gaming product team? Uh, how do you build it? What should it look like at uh, different stages of your games and at different company sizes? Um, I, I was, again, reflecting back on all the different companies that you guys have worked with, but, you know, maybe we could just start out by you guys introducing yourselves and, and, and where you've been uh, over your career. Sure. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, Chris, me, one of us. Patrick, start. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, keep it, I'll keep it short. Um, I started my, uh, my career in, in gaming actually in Asia, in, in China, where I, where I worked the first eight years. So uh, back in the days, uh, there were actually also uh, feature phones and, and uh, products as a service weren't really a thing. So you were still developing um, uh, games and then uh, ship them and, and forget them. So LiveOps didn't exist. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, was, that was the beginning. And then I uh, moved to, to Germany, actually joined Good Games. That's where Chris and, and my path uh, the, crossed for the, for the first time, not the last time. And um, uh, also, of course, doing uh, products and, and um, uh, mobile games uh, in, in particular. And then afterwards, with a, with a short uh, step at, at the German Telecom, where I've also managed the products, advertisement products, I was with uh, Spill Games in this area, um, still doing uh, doing mobile teams. Yeah. Awesome. Chris? Yeah, for me, it uh, did not start that, that exciting. But yeah, I actually started my career in gaming at Good Game Studio. It was my first uh, starting point. Uh, from there, I had also a bit of exercise um, without the gaming part. So I went to an online lottery actually and had uh, some experience there. And afterwards, it took me back to the industry and I joined Outfit 7 in Slovenia. I joined Azarian in the Netherlands. And uh, now I just recently uh, actually uh, went to Copenhagen and joined Cybo. And yeah, that's where I am at the moment. It's fantastic. Okay. So uh, to set the tone, uh, let's ask, um, what is a gaming product team and, and why is it important? Chris, do you want to start out? Yeah, sure. For me, the uh, product team is obviously the core of each of the um, gaming studios that are out there, right? So it's in the end that um, part of the company that makes it possible to uh, have the bills paid and uh, make progress within the development of the company. And it's the core of collaboration and where actually the um, whole effort is combined into hopefully awesome products with a li nice lifetime and uh, nice uh, user numbers. So that's basically the starting point, I would say. Cool. Patrick, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Chris uh, captured it uh, quite nicely. I think usually a product team is indeed the you know the team that has the uh, you know the, the the customer in mind uh, first and foremost, and, and is able to combine it with you know with what the company needs, which, which usually is some sort of you know revenue or some sort of a some sort of a positive feedback, whatever that is, um, and and the team that actually you know is 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 accountable um, and and preferably as 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 much responsible as well. So as an addition, yeah. Um, so what would you guys say is the maybe minimum, uh, <laughs> viable product team? Like what, what is the absolute like minimum in terms of like what you need skill wise to be able to have like a functioning product team that could put out a game? Mm, yeah, maybe I can start there as well. Uh, I would say it obviously really depends on which state of uh, the life cycle your game actually is. So if you start with the prototyping and you want to come up with the ideas, I think the team can be quite uh, small and you actually need to have a, a coder and uh, somebody who's doing the design and the description of how the game should look like. And then you can iterate with this quite fast, depending on your art um, style and your aspect of this as well. Uh, if you grow, obviously you need some more people where I would say in general, something that you learn from the um, scrum school, if you want it that way, I think something around seven to 10 people for a basic product. And then you can obviously scale with this into product teams, into feature teams, however you will see it. And then you can really see, yeah, depending on the size of your product, how much of this uh, teams you actually need to be successful. Sure. 
When you say, you know, a coder and then someone doing design, is that like a artist kind of a thing? Or is that more of like a game designer of like how the uh, different pieces should kind of function together, you know, at a high level? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, good question, because it really depends as well on what kind of um, human beings you have there with you. <laughs> right? So I would say, especially on this size of the teams, it's not so important to have the roles in there, but you need to have people that can solve pr- uh, specific problems or challenges that your product will run into, right? So if you have the people with the right attitude and the right mindset to, as Patrick mentioned, focus on what does the user want? How do you monetize? How could you scale the product? And I think it's not so much about the role description, but yeah, rather about the mindset. And then it can be really some a good artist that has a bit the the game design uh, feeling as well. It can be a game designer who can also be a bit more, be a bit more T-shaped, right? So it really depends, I would say. I mean, it's it's an interesting uh, point that, uh, that 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 Chris is bringing up. And in terms of like game teams, I would I would not actually argue uh, argue against it. Um, but I would probably take one thing that that Chris didn't mention too much, and I don't know if you agree with me on on this point. But if you have, you know, like a real uh, Tom, you and I we talked about it in in our first podcast as well. Uh, you know, when you have like a real product manager, right? Like a guy who you know who who is not just having the the mindset, right? But he also has a skill set and the experience, all three things together. Um, you know, then then a product team can really be one guy. Um, you know, because this person will do most of the you know. Uh, financial viability of the product he will probably have an idea of how the rough game design is going to look like right so he should be able to or he or she should be able to create like a high level design document and by the way that doesn't have to be only game related right i mean i'm, I'm pretty sure your your, your fellowship there's a, there's a lot of people that that might not have anything to do with games i, I think everything that, that chris and i are saying right now is um also relevant for um for applications talking about uh, team size uh, there's a plus one sneaking in right now uh, talking about live streams and everything uh, uh, our son decided that it's not his time to go to bed yet i will i will try to be uh, fatherly right now and ask him to to leave just a, just a second so so chris um you were talking a little bit about um you know there's different stages of of teams uh, over time so uh Let's say uh, you and I decide to start a gaming studio um, and we've built a, a small little team. We've got a, a programmer and a designer that, you know, can kind of flex both game design and artist. Um, you know, at what point uh, do we decide, hey, it's probably time for us to start scaling up our team? You know, w- what are some things that you look for that's an indication that, yeah, we need to, you know, get some more people in here um, yeah, what's the what's the best timing? I mean, that's a really tricky and good question, obviously, because I think that's really I haven't seen a studio that mastered this question to a degree that is like a template for all others to repeat, right? But I would say it's important that you define milestones that you have on your roadmap that you want to achieve and that you can always measure, right? And then it's important how you achieve it, and that can be when you're really small be at the beginning to have a playable version of your game, show it to an investor and he was on board, you have the first milestone achieved, can be having a playable version and do a play test with real users to see that you're being on the right track. And if you have the first success there, then you can scale to the, to the next size. So I would really say it depends on um, the, the milestones and the roadmap that you have in mind for your product to actually grow. So, yeah. It's mm. a sufficient answer because it's not a good <laughs> answer, right? But uh, as I said, I think that that's a really tricky one uh, to find out and to actually work with. So, so a good way to approach kind of a new product and a new product team would be uh, making sure that you're really clear on what your ultimate goals are and you have milestones that kind of, you know, you set along the way. Um, is that right? Yeah, I mean, what what Patrick actually mentioned as well, right? If you have the right feeling for the product, then it really depends to have this vision and have this vision always clear because there will be uh, people, opinions, uh, challenges left and right that will always bring you down from this uh, vision. But it's important that you are clear about it and that you know how to follow it. 
Um, and then you can also have the milestones that you want to achieve and uh, grow from these uh, points on. Sure. No, that's good. Um, what would happen in our theoretical gaming studio? Uh, let's say we set a goal of uh, having a, a playable prototype that we can, you know, send to like Playtest Cloud and get some people's response back. Um, and let's say we get a lukewarm response where some people really like it, some people really don't, and then most people are just kind of, you know, in the middle. Um, do you keep iterating? Is that the point where we need to switch concepts? You know, sh should we be scaling up the team? Like, how would you approach something like that? In, in this, oh, sorry, Patrick, please go. Yeah. Patrick, jump in. <laughs> no, I would, I would just be saying, I mean, in, in, in an ideal case, right, you, you have a good idea of what you want to achieve, right? So you, you already set a couple of benchmarks. And um, uh, again, lukewarm response, of course, could be, you know, um, uh, could be being somewhat okay with the game, but, but, not, but, not, uh, but not ecstatic about it. And I think then it really depends. Is it a very innovative game, right? So, you know, do you still need to iterate on the, on the target group? Do you, you know, still need to, you know, explain the, the point of the game a bit better? Or are you basically copying another game where you would expect the user already to understand what this game is all about, right? So I think the importance is like, why do they not like the game? Um, and and um, that's, I think, one big criteria. And the second criteria, I would really check back with the team, right? Like, do they still have a backlog, right? Do they still have uh, a confidence in their own product? And if mm. they do, you know, um, uh, what is the amount of money that you're willing to invest into the team's confidence in themselves, right? Um, and and um, at that point, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people will have to make decisions. It's difficult to say for us, uh, uh, and it will be very situational. But but those two things, I think, would be would be two um, criteria to look into the decision making, uh, whether or not to to kill or continue. Yeah. And one topic that Patrick mentioned, I think just to stress it out here one more time, is really know your audience, right? For whom are you doing this product and then follow up with the vision because um, it does not help if you have a great idea, but you have no idea who would play this game because then you are, um, yeah, you will be blocked anyways. And in this regards, I think it's super important to always check this. And then if you do the playtest, see how much match do I have with my uh, core audience or with my target audience. And then depending on their feedback, see if it makes sense to continue or not. Mm. And since this is a retention podcast, I mean, I think there's a couple, some KPIs that you should be more closely guarding than others, right? So let's say you, you know, you created the MVP, the team likes it, you know, uh, the first numbers, whatever those are, are somewhat respectable. And then you get a somewhat lukewarm response. What does it mean, right? Is it lukewarm in terms of, you know, are, are users not coming back or are they coming back and not paying? Um, if they're coming back, if you have a certain retention threshold, Chris, uh, I don't know, would you say 30, I mean, 25, yeah. Um, if it's everything above 30 would give me a better feeling and everything above 40, I think would be would be, would be be good. Um, you know, I would not really care too much about uh, monetization um, because most of the time, you know, um, uh, A, of course, uh, when, when retention there, monetization will follow, but also monetization usually takes more time to develop and most people will try to go to like a releasable state uh, sooner and, and they will usually say, well, we focus on tech first, retention second, and then monetization third. So again, I, I would also keep that in mind. Uh, what, what KPI are you going to be looking into? Yeah, that's great. Uh, Chris, one question for you. You know, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times the importance of knowing your audience. Um, for folks that are maybe new to product or maybe not new or new to research and understanding, you know, what would you say is the best way to get to know my audience? Like, um, let's say we decide our new studio is going to, uh, you know, take on the, the match threes of the world. Um, how do I figure out what that, like who that audience is, what they're likes, how do I get to know them? What would be your, you know, best recommendation there? Yeah, first of all, yeah, you have different ways, obviously, to approach this topic. First of all, there are some tools out there that makes your life a bit easier because you can actually uh, check the demographics, uh, something like any other kind of uh, these tools. Uh, you have the possibility to actually check other games out there, check the Facebook pages, see how players interact with this one. Obviously, you have the chance, if you have a hypothesis about it, go out and talk to people, give them something to play and check if that's the audience. And with this, you can narrow down any time to really have your 
I don't want to say personas because that has at the moment a bit bad vibes. I have the feeling within uh, some companies and in, in industries, but that's, I think, a good way to nail down from all the possible uh, potential players to that's really the audience that I would like to achieve and get into my game. Mm. That's really great. Okay. Well, let's assume that we've gotten our tech down and our players are actually, uh, you know, retaining well, they're, they're liking the game. Um, what would be like the, the next step in terms of scaling the, you know, gaming team, like who are the next kind of essential piece people that we should have on the team, you know, beyond our, our programmer and our designer. Good point. I mean, uh, we um, have experimented with with something called a green light process. I think many people call it call it uh, you know different different names. Essentially, what it is, it's it's a step by step approach to try to you know minimize the chance of of, of failure. Uh, I, I intentionally don't say increase the chance of success, but but actually limit <laughs> the chance of, of failure by just making sure that that you know you follow the playbook. And um, you know, since you ask about the team, I will focus on on, on the answer towards the team. Um, I think once you have this stage, you you should get a couple of other stakeholders within your within your company, right? So that I think the marketing team is is a pretty good uh, is a pretty good uh, next uh, next step to get involved to get the you know predictions on the on the CPI. They will certainly chip in on you know the ideas of what the whatever your yeah, target audience persona or so is so you would get a more rounded uh, vision uh, more rounded vision as well uh, you know assuming that azo and and the others are well either they are already part of the marketing team or not if they're not then then get them involved and um yeah uh, of course the the, the actual um uh, the actual development team that that is probably uh, very engaged in in in, in tweaking uh, soft launch KPIs because I would assume that that's probably still your number one uh, number one topic to fix, right? Um, mm-hmm. Cool, um, Chris. Anything to add to that? No, um, just on on the game side itself, I would also say it really depends, as Patrick mentioned, what is your backlog saying, right? How many ideas do you have? What is the requirements? And then also to obviously check the uh, cross-benefit, cost-benefit approach to be like, what actually makes sense? How much effort do we put into something? And then see, do we maybe need more artists? Do we maybe need to have more coders? Because we really have some ideas that we believe in that could be uh, ROI positive quite fast. So that then obviously it makes also sense to scale a bit more in, in this direction um, to, yeah, actually, as Patrick also mentioned, to adjust to what you see with the first metrics that you get from ever whatever kind of soft launch, tech launch, or however you will call it, uh, so that you work with the numbers and see how you can increase them. So if, if you're working with a backlog, I mean, my, my experience is I can have a lot of ideas for any product that I'm working on. Um, but I, I would say that very few of my ideas are actually, you know, good and should be pursued. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at your backlog, um, have you guys encountered any ways to uh, better assess, like, okay, this feature is likely to actually improve what I'm working on right now, which is, let's say, retention, and what is the chance that it's going to do that, and you know, how long is this feature going to take? Like, how do you guys actually weigh that to figure out like which of these features is worth um, expanding on or maybe even growing the team to be able to take on? Um, let me, you want to take it, Patrick? (laughs) Yes. I would love to give you a a top 10 list of features that everybody can, can copy and put in the game and and it will solve all their, all their problems. Um, uh, I would, (laughs) if I would have them. Um, but Trying to answer that, that that question, if you um, uh, have a couple of best practices, or if you develop a game, usually you have uh, you know market leaders that you that you benchmark yourself against, and and usually those market leaders uh, have a set of features um, that by that time I'm pretty sure your team, you yourself, and your team already know, right? Um, that that you should just have in the game, right? So like you know, the minimum viable copy of, of whatever your, your competitors is, is, is creating. Um, and again, when you look at, um, when you look at nowadays, uh, uh, retention improvements, uh, I think everybody is going for, you know, some sort of a, uh, you know, a good uh, FT, uh, FTE first some user experience. Usually if it's a multiplayer game, they will try to get you into contact with, you know, uh, um, with, uh, with a guild or whatever the, the equivalent in your game is relatively soon. So with a kind of like, a, you know, a peer group, 
Um, they have, uh, I think, a buddy system in a couple of games now. Uh, obviously, the uh, conversion points where they where they feed you with uh, well with with the average starter pack, for example, and and making sure that you in in the very first minutes uh, understand what the game is all about. So I think if you have those things, um, you know, on your on your list. Um, uh, then, then you still have a viable background if, if people are fishing, right? Or if something is happening that they're looking for silver bullets, right? Oh, we're doing this thing and then we're doing, you know, retention 10 percentage points increase, right? So from 20 to 30 percent, right? If, if, if you have that, if you're at that point, uh, I think you, you, have a, you have trouble. But if you, if you have a reasonable thing of saying, hey, you know, our competitor is doing this, we don't do this yet, we expect like a two, three percent you know, increase uh, from the baseline and, you know, you have a product owner uh, or a product team that, you know, has a track record either in your company or has done it in the past, or if no track record, have a real sense of ownership, uh, you know, and you know that they will do whatever it takes to, uh, you know, to, to get it done. I, I, I think you, you should keep investing again in the other case. You should certainly double check uh, the money that's being spent uh, on, on those, you know, uh, kind of hail Marys. Mm. So, so maybe to clarify, uh, if I've got a game that is in soft launch, um, the first, maybe most important thing that I should be looking at is just, you know, players interaction with the core loop and their desire to come back and play the game. And in the sense of, is this game fun? And if it meets whatever that minimal threshold is probably looking at comparable metrics in the industry, right? Um, then I can look at, okay, what are the other features that other games in my genre have that my players are going to expect and maybe consider building those out for soft launch? Because um, kind of the question in the back of my mind is, how essential is something like a, a daily reward calendar? Like, is that really going to have a meaningful impact in the game? And is it worth it to build that out just because all the other games have something like that? Yeah, to, to jump in there, um, what I just wanted to add, because that can be a, maybe the next discussion point, because I really like the wording of um, fun, right? Like, what does it really mean? And what is the metric behind it? And how do you measure it? And so we can spend, I guess, uh, even maybe another talk about just this uh, concept. But to, to add there, I really think it, it depends on what is in the game. So I think if you're um, having a core game, then the influence of something like a daily lock-in bonus will be something else. And then if you have a hyper-casual game where you would not expect that the guys are returning to your game uh, for so long anyways. So I would really see it depends on the audience and it depends on how good it's embedded as well, right? Because none of this feature per se is a template of success, but if it combined in the right order and in the right way, then it adds value to the user and then it makes sense to have it and present to your audience to, to interact with it. That's just mm. my sense on it. And that's where the game designer comes in to pull it all together into a seamless experience, right? <laughs> yeah, especially when we are also talking about fun, right? There, you know, where the game designer is coming in there. No, just it's always through all my companies, I would say, where I ever joined, this was always a bit the discussion between product on the one side and design on the other side, right? Like the one is just focusing on monetization. The other is just focusing on fun, again, whatever this means. Um, and to find a good sweet spot there and have a good collaboration because you can just monetize your game when the players also have some kind of fun. I know you could also argue a bit differently, but I would say uh, in, in most of the cases, you arrive with this one and then have the um, different disciplines working according to it uh, together. I think that's the best approach for your game. And um, maybe the absence of a clear strategy is also a great answer for, for many of the people in the audience. Why? Uh, maybe we should have done that in, in the beginning. We talked a bit about the companies that, that Chris and I worked for. Um, and, um, uh, you know, for, for Chris, for example, I mean, you know, you, you, you're right now working on, on, on Subway Surfer, right? You worked on, you know, Outfit 7, like my talking Tom, you know, you were at, at Good Games where you, where you pushed, uh, you know, and, and worked also on, on Empire, Empire for Kingdoms. So what, what we have is, you know, we have two of the, the, the biggest games in the world, right? Uh, uh, I think talking Tom and, and um, Subway Surfers. Subway Surfer battling kind of in, in a way, right? And, and obviously uh, Good Games uh, and, and, and our colleagues, they have been doing really great jobs in, in terms of LTV. So I think we have both extremes, right? We have scale, we have, you know, we have uh, kind of like, uh, or, or we have reach and, and, and revenue. Um, 
and we're also not 100% sure. And we're also saying it depends, right? Because there is not the one thing that, that you can do and that guarantees success. Because if there would be, you know, uh, well, uh, everybody would be doing it. So so it really, yeah, the, it depends is unfortunately the the best, you know, uh, the best answer for myself as well. Like, uh, you know, with, with Spill Games or with Azarian, we have like over 400 million installs, you know, uh, is the significant, the biggest part of those ones came in for free. So we have a lot of, you know, great IPs, franchises that are that are well known uh, where users are, uh, are are coming on a regular basis. And uh, we have a couple of things that, that we keep uh, doing, right? So we, we indeed uh, have, have those uh, best practices for our own um, uh, games. And each time we do another game in the series, so for example, Travis Quest has like 16 different, different games. Uh, Rush, our franchise has three different games. So of course, you mm. will see the same working features, uh, you know, um, over and over again. But if we would tackle a new game, um, uh, you know, yeah, it, it's really well starting from scratch maybe sounds too harsh but but just for the argument i, I would say yeah, it's really starting from scratch and, and figuring out what the audience will and at that point i think you need to have a great tool set right you need to have one you have a person that obviously checks it but you need to have a great tool set and you need to have a clear idea of what you want to build um and uh, w- with those three things together uh, i think you can just iterate uh, uh, you know uh, like crazy through the product and and uh, while doing it, you will find out if you should stop and, and do something else, or if you really uh, hit a hit a jackpot uh, and and uh, drill down on it. Mm. How important would you guys say it is um, when you're prototyping or building a new game, or even in soft launch, to uh, be building the system and the features in such a way that you can actually reuse them? Uh, is that something that you should be spending time to do? in a soft launch stage, or is that something that you should be doing long-term? Because I I do know that a lot of companies that have been really successful, like uh, let's take, uh, you know, Genshin Impact. Uh, If you look at that game and you look at their monetization and you look at their fighting and a lot of the other stuff, those things came from earlier games that they put out. and it you know seemed like they kind of built up different features and they kind of you know took this out and dropped it in the next game and they expanded on that a little bit and then they took those out and they dropped it in the next game and kind of expanded and i've seen that over and over again at a lot of different gaming studios so you know when and if ever is it a good thing to do to be able to like package up those features so you can reuse them in in that fashion I think it's 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 a great it's a great question. I think every team will have that that conversation. And the bigger the company is, the more tilted it will probably be towards you know build uh, you know build to last you know build something that that you know future product can can te- uh, can capitalize on. And um, uh, you know, uh, I had one example in a company that I worked for where we did a match three game where the logic would have been not just to do one match three game but to do multiple match three games. And uh, you know, the first one should have been the prototype where you know, you would, uh, yeah, you would kind of create a minimum viable product you, and you would see, you know, the, the, the KPIs and if the company is actually able to pull it off. Um, I think one of the, the reasons why this particular um, genre uh, for this particular company never took off is because, uh, you know, the the first game that, that we created that, that I was part of uh, kind of like failed uh, to provide enough tools and uh, enough learnings for, for the next two, three games, uh, which caused them to be delayed. And ultimately, you know, uh, uh, I do not think you should go into a new genre hoping that one game actually going to make it, right? You should have enough money and enough, you know, uh, long-term vision when you're a big company to, um, uh, to, to invest upfront um, uh, into, into a set feature set. However, if you're a small indie developer, I well, there's a good chance that you would not do it, right? There's a good chance that you will, you know, that, that you will try to put a game out as soon as possible. And if that one is successful, then the second game or the third game, you know, you will probably have to re-engineer the first. Um, but uh, again, the first version of, of for a small studio should probably, um, how do you say it? Um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's a nice German uh, saying for it, uh, but uh, don't, you know, uh, 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 don't die in beauty, right? Uh, so, so, you know, just, just put it out there and, and, and see if it works. Don't, don't over-engineer it. Mm. That's good. Chris, anything to add? 
Yeah, I would say in general for, for bigger studio, it's also a good way if you reuse some kind of content to prevent actually that you always try to reinvent the wheel, right? Because a lot of the things are there, they are working and you should really focus on what percentage of the game is innovative, what on the other part of the uh, game is just yeah, inspired by uh, successful uh, other ways or approaches <laughs> how to do it. Um, but I would also agree, it, it depends on which kind of developers you have, because if you're also in an indie studio, you have someone who's good with having this gen generic and systematic approach, then obviously go for it. But I think especially there when you have a small budget and you have a timeline that you need to hit, I think, first of all, you need to see that you have a proof that you have a game and then you can uh, rather work with that than having a nice system that you can build up on, but no money to continue or no game to show to an investor or audience to actually uh, prove your case, right? So yeah, it's uh, there. You, I think you need to find a good sweet spot. And on, on top of that, it also, I, I'm zooming a bit out and, and not just talking about, you know, uh, product uh, management, but also, you know, product strategy or, or also company strategy. The question really becomes what you're going for, right? Because if you already have a success and you do like the second, third, fourth and fifth version of that, right? Obviously, it makes sense to to heavily invest into into tools and toolings and, and you know, uh, to, to even go into the best practice, uh, into the best practice stage. But if you would, you know, go more of a shotgun approach where you do like, you know, multiple, you know, uh, where you do multiple genres with, you know, with, with multiple teams. Um, uh, I think there will always be like a core technology that, that you probably refer back to, right? Where you, where you can, uh, where, where you can take, take information out, but on the game level. Yeah. I think everybody will have to do it on its own. Right. And then whoever is successful based on this success, you then continue investing uh, and, and develop the franchise. So again, two different approaches, right? One is um, uh, less, reward i think uh, so less upside but also less risk by 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 copying your own game right uh, multiple times and we've seen a couple of companies that, that do it very successfully um and and obviously also going the other approach where um you uh, actually see that, that that systems are being created from from scratch and the company is great for it right uh, you also have to build the team to to to, to follow this strategy and then just to add there um what Patrick mentioned a bit as well is um, already one of the biggest dangers that I see in this kind of approaches as well is uh, just because you have one successful game, right? It doesn't mean that this is your template that you can just reuse and say like, oh yeah, it needs always be like this because this was super successful um, because that also gives you a specific bias that can be actually quite dangerous. And uh, what we can also see with this, some of the companies out there, it's yeah, that you can see it actually in the market and with the games, right? So um, yeah, it's it's really, really good to to make sure that you have always the freshness in your mind and in your idea and, and make your life as comfortable as possible with using what you can reuse but yeah that's that's at least what i would give us away as well and then anecdotally since since we are going into kind of like this uh, what chris just said i think another really interesting thing about you know let's call it copying games is you know um uh, sometimes teams, you know, uh, uh, they 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 say they copy a game, right? Uh, and and Chris mentioned it uh, uh, like 20, 30 minutes ago, uh, maybe, or or uh, where he said, you know, the question is how much do you copy and how much do you innovate, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that you get that sorted out from the beginning. I, I don't think there's any shame in copying a game 100%, right? Uh, uh, um, if you if you think that that somebody overlooked something, you know, uh, like an art style or you know uh, something, um, or you can do it simply better than them, then that's fine, you know, copy it. Um, but I've seen so many teams and it's very easy for those teams. And I think it's very important for us product managers to, to have a close eye on. They say they're copying and then halfway through, you know, the, 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 the MVP or halfway through the development cycle, you're realizing, Jesus, they're iterating so many new things, you know, that, that it's not a copy anymore. It's, it's, it's de facto, it's a new game, you know, that has been based on, you know, whatever success. And if you do that, you, I think you're in a big, you're in a big trouble because um, uh, unless, sorry, you're in big trouble, unless you're aware of it, because if you start referring to the old game, and you know you, you you're kind of copying their playbook, um, but you're not copying it completely because you took your own ideas. Well, you know then you don't have a playbook to copy anymore. Then it's your original idea, and and you really have to switch mindset from you know copycat to original development. And many teams a do it, but then don't don't do it one hundred percent because they're kind of like caught in between. And and I think that's what what kills so many products in our industry. Agreed. Is is there a right ratio that you should generally shoot for? 
whether you're copying your own game or, you know, somebody else's or just trying to innovate on something, you know, is it as simple as kind of reskinning, you know, like a, uh, a golf clash was basically a, a copy of uh, clash Royale, right. Except they changed the gameplay to be about golf instead of the cards. Um, but the monetization systems and stuff seem to be very similar. And I, I think they've transitioned away a little bit, but, uh, at least when they initially launched, it seemed like it was very similar, but just kind of reskinned to be about golf. Um, so, you know, what is the right ratio and is there, is there a line where you should be like, okay, over 40%, you should you should never cross this line in terms of trying to innovate. I I think depending on the company you are, right? Like Indies, for example, and and God bless them because they really are great for our industry uh, and and they are so important for you know for the innovation that 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 bigger uh, companies usually you know don't go for. Some do, but but most don't. So it's really important to have them. Um, uh, but it's also difficult times to see them struggle because what they're trying to do is they're trying to go, you know, new team, you know, a genre that doesn't exist yet or a mesh that doesn't exist yet. So they have, they have, they have no experience and nothing to copy from. I don't think that's a smart approach uh, on average, right. Um, Till somebody proves me wrong. Um, uh, but that I wouldn't do. Um, on the other hand, it's also really important to understand that many companies uh, in, in our industry, I don't think they are able to create things from scratch. So I think most companies should go for like, you know, uh, 50, 60, maybe 60 percent, uh, you know, uh, 60, 70 percent copy, you know, and, and 30 percent of whatever their own secret sources. And, and that will give us wide spectrum of awesome games. Huh? Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not going to be like Clash of Clans 1, 2, 3, just, you know, one guy has a red head and the other one has a blue head. Uh, so it, it will still give us a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different game experiences. Um, and then there are some of those companies that, that, that are really known for, you know, uh, innovation. But those are usually the companies that, that develop games for like three, four, five years and probably cut or kill, you know, nine out of 10 games. Uh, uh, so um, again, you, you you really need to have the company for it. And I think for most of the people, if I would just average it, they probably end up with, you know, like 60 plus percent copy, if they're really honest, uh, at least. Yeah, and in addition to that, I mean, there are a lot of great articles uh, on LinkedIn and other sources as well that exactly address this topic because it's a difficult um, answer to find. And I think it comes a bit down to product management and vision, right? The answer is why do you want to do the change? Just to have a, a mix there and say like it's whatever, as Patrick mentioned, 70-30, uh, because that's our standard, um, it does not really help, right? You need to see like what is my core that needs to function and what is the part of where I believe that the innovation will add us because it gives us a new niche, it gives us a new audience, it, it's a bit more accessible for our audience. And I think to if you have a good answer and a clear path of why you're doing it, then it's not so important if it's like 35, 40, whatever. But yeah, I'm with Patrick in general. I think on average, you will end up on something that makes like the part where you can fail should be as minimized as possible. And that's always innovation, right? Mm, that's that's great. So, so switching gears just a little bit, because I do want to touch on this before we get there. Um, team size. So I, I know that a lot of the... Uh, teams kind of up in the Nordics, uh, especially starting with Supercell, uh, have small teams, even small teams for the live games that they're running. Like if you look at like the Clash of Clans team, I, I don't remember exactly where it was, but like 12 people or something like that, uh, which, you know, kind of blows my mind, right? Um, you know, and then I also heard you, Chris, kind of mentioning uh, building teams for a feature within a game. So, you know, what would you guys say is the right team size for a game or how do you figure out what that is? And should you have a team just for a feature or, you know, what, what's the right cadence? On, on the on the Clash of Clans, uh, and uh, just because it, it, it um, uh, back in the days, it was actually uh, copying um, uh, one, uh, the, the Clash of Clans game with, with one of our teams. And um, it was, uh, it was bigger. It was, I think it was 20-ish people. Um, and then the topic came up with with management. It was like, hey, why is your team twenty people, right? Uh, 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 um, you know, the, the guys from from Supercell are doing it with with twelve, and their game looks much better. Uh, fair argument. Um, uh, so I, I did some I did some research, but that's again that's already two thousand and and uh, twelve or so, um, uh, or two thousand thirteen. Um, 
And so I did some research, and yeah, of course, the the you know the, the clash of uh, the clash of clans of the supercell team was was small, but they knew each other already from you know a they all had like ten plus years of experience, you know, super awesome, uh, you know, people with a track record. They have been working together at Digital Chocolate, uh, so yeah, it's a small team, but it's a team that really knows what they're doing. And and I think people need to be uh, uh, realistic about it. I think it's great as a manager to you know put it out there uh, to to kind of like you know push your, your your team to to do better um, and I also agree that 20 people in hindsight was was too much so 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 I agree on this as well um, but uh, I also think it's really important to understand you know uh, uh, two things a when the when the team starts yeah it might have been uh, you know uh, 12 people but really successful games you know a year from 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 this um, uh, they're not 12 people anymore right they, they usually grow uh, even supercell at that point you know will have grown uh, uh, significantly um, and and I think that just proves that you should start small with you know the, the, the smallest team in a way possible um, uh, uh, and and work on milestones and and the more milestones you you check you know uh, the bigger the team should become um, and and you should hold the team responsible for it and saying guys you need more people yeah deliver the numbers first you know uh, uh, and and if you're then in a luxury situation, Thinking about bigger companies because again, Spill Games was bigger, Azarian is bigger. So I, I talk a bit for bigger companies now, not for the not for the twenty people indie, but maybe like for the three hundred uh, uh, plus company now. I think it's awesome if you have you know two, three, four, five, six different teams, you know, awesome teams where you as a manager, you know, basically have a budget available and you can you know allocate those budgets to the different teams. You know, not really micromanage them because they they, they will be able to do that themselves. Um, but but just yeah like allocate your your funds according to milestones and and therefore have like a really healthy environment of of, of teams that are out tark and 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 driven to 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 deliver but also where you have multiple options because the worst thing is actually to only have this one option because then there's no question you need to keep investing into a game you know even if you don't you know stop believing in it and and too many companies in, in our industries are are falling actually into exactly that trap right they have to invest into the team because they have no alternative anymore yeah, um, to, to add there, I really believe as well that it depends on, first of all, the people that you have available, so your resource pool, and second of all, and that comes next, um, the processes that you have, right? So depending on how good you collaborate and how you get your work done, I think it's not so much about the question how many people you have in, in the team, but what kind of people you have in the team. And then it really depends on what is your... Um, what are the requirements from business side, from update side? What do you want to have? Uh, are you a live game? Are you a prototype game? So then it really depends on, on what you have there. But I also believe, and, and I mean, you re can read about it as well, the smaller the team is, the easier it is to collaborate and, and have a common and shared vision and yeah, achieve the goals as one team, right? So, and, and in this regards, I would say it really yeah, depends where you are in the life cycle. Hmm. I mean, if you ask the question in another way, right, what would be a team that that I would start my own company with, right? I think if you, if, you know, we ourselves are, I think, uh, reasonably good uh, product managers, let's assume that's already a given, right? If, if I would take, you know, uh, one good, you know, uh, artist uh, uh, that is able to do, you know, a, a number of different art, doesn't have to be the perfect art artist in, in any given area, but just have a broad approach to art. So if you have one artist, you know, with a bit of technical background and, you know, kind of like two, you know, developer, one who you know two to focus on the front end and one of those guys who has a bit of back uh, back end experience you know that would be enough for me to actually start my own company uh, and, and create an mvp within you know like six six something months um uh, and and of course you can add you know more people uh, 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 later on but but uh, if you if you want to have a rough idea you know a, a good team uh, could be could be this already and again for the for the for 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 the for the te um, sorry for the for the first one or two stages of any green light process where you're just to the high level games and document, honestly, I think one, one really good product owner should be able to do it. Um, mm. You don't need more. And if he needs more then yeah, then <laughs> yeah, well, that's also an answer. Cool. That's great. So, you know, once you do take a game live um, and you start thinking about, you know, maybe doing some live operations, content updates, things like that, um, I've heard a lot about live ops teams. Um, where do those or should those fall in terms of like the product team? Should they be separate? Should they work together? Should they be like a subset of the product team? Like what's the best way once you actually have a game live to collaborate and put out, you know, regular content updates that your players like? Chris, do you want to take that one? 
Damn it. I thought Pedri can start. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's a tricky and a good question um, because, as, again, it first of all depends on what is your game, right? Are you in a content trap where you need to deliver a specific content over a specific period of time that needs to be there because that's the core of your game? Or is it something that you basically build up your game from the scratch to have this live ops, have changing dynamic content in your mind already from the start? Because then it's different approaches. So I would say the closer the team, and we are talking here not again about team sizes, so obviously that's a driver as well. But um, if you have a team that is not too big, I would say it would make sense to have them as close as possible because all the content should be interconnected with the updates anyways, right? In the best case, everything is connected. So I would say the closer they work together, the better it is. But again, you should not come to a specific threshold and have too many peoples because then yeah, you are ending up in, in too many confusion and too many questions, I think. Mm. Um, I think it's great that, that, that Chris started because it's a really valid point that I would have ignored in, in my answer. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've worked in the past, I worked in a company that, that you know, has kind of like a process driven uh, approach to, to product management. So where, it, you know, where it started with, you know, first it was, a, there was a team that created like the ideation and the MVP. They then gave it to a development team. This development team then handed it over to what, you know, what, what has been called a life ops team. So the team that was, you know, um, after soft launch, you know, managing the game. And uh, in, in theory, uh, uh, that, that, that of course works. In practice, it also works for, for many companies. For that particular company that, that I was involved in, it didn't work. So we actually had to switch. We actually had to adjust. And uh, we created a product-centric team where, you know, uh, the same team is sitting on the, the, the product from ideation all the way to, you know, um, uh, all the way to live operation. And this has pros and, and, and cons as well. Um, I think one of the negative points is that you have to have kind of like a, a team that's good at everything, right? A very well-rounded team uh, and, and it's harder to find those people. Um, it's also more stress because they have to go through, you know, many transformative stages. But um, uh, yeah, it, it really... Again, uh, depends on on, um, on on where you're coming from, um, uh, and in many cases, if possible, I would usually try to have the the, the life ops team again as uh, as an integral part of of the product team, or actually be the product team that just mm. switched from you know I'm I'm developing kind of like a game in a pre-production to I'm now managing a game in life operations, but. As Chris mentioned, that's why it's great that you started. You need to have to have that opportunity, right? Uh, uh, um, uh, if, if you don't, then of course it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it, it's also interesting uh, since you're mentioning it. What is the life team, right? Because I think we have different concepts here at the, at the moment in mind. So what what you're referring is actually like having one team developing the game, then the other is taking care of when it's live to grow the game. What I have rather in mind is if you have a game, then there's one part that creates like continuous updates and, and content while others are doing uh, events and all this kind of stuff that's actually participating or counting into the, the live ops of the existing game, right? But yeah, you're absolutely right for this approach. I think every handover can be a bus kill uh, for, for the game because you always have uh, information loss. You always lose uh, not just relevant people, but also relevant information. So that should be, I think, minimized as much as possible because otherwise you can have such a good idea, but in the end it turns out, as Patrick also mentioned with other uh, topics, through, into something completely else than it was uh, envisioned at the beginning just because there have been one or two handovers in between and then, yeah you run into a wall and it might blow away, so. And, and one thing that, that I like uh, about, about Chris's approach to, to, to product management is, you know, usually what, what, what you do, Chris, is you, you know, you make sure that there's really nice, uh, you know, pipeline where the game design and art and development content of, of a given feature is like, you know, two, three weeks uh, 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 done before actually the, uh, the release of the game, right? So, so what, you, what you're usually trying to do is to, um, uh, again, to have the, the development period, you know, uh, uh, done a couple of weeks uh, before the game goes live and then you know you have the other uh, uh, time to actually focus on on, on tweaking and, and monitor uh, monitoring the features and i think if you have that kind of like setup you yeah you have this more holistic approach right you you it, it uh, becomes a bit of like um, how do you call that uh, um, it, it 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 flows into each other right yeah 
No, maybe fantastic. we need to do maybe we need to show the video because I'm using so many hand gestures to try <laughs> to explain. <laughs> it weaves together. I, I love it. That's great. Indeed, yes. So, so Chris, uh, question for you, since you recently changed jobs, um, and as everyone does, you know, eventually you you switch to a different company or, or things change or or you switch games. Um, you know, you recently came over and, and you're the, the director for Subway Surfers, right? Yes, um, so, you know, what's the right approach for coming into a team and a game that already has a process? Like, what's the best way to get into that, uh, making sure that you're not interrupting the cadence, but you're also able to, you know, further optimize and improve? Obviously, they hired you for something, right? Um, yeah, what, what's the what's the best approach for folks that are taking over a game or, or switching companies? Yeah, since I'm in the middle of the process, I should be careful here with answering. <laughs> but, um, obviously, also with the past experience, I think it's super important to come into the processes, the game, the people, and understand um, why things are happening. And also ask this question a lot of time, like, why is this happening? Why are you doing it like this? So that you can understand a bit where the product, the company, the people are coming from, because that all leads into a specific setup that have been good or is still good uh, to, to work in, but that can be then optimized to specific requirements that are coming from new um, market developments or new trends or new potentials that you want to achieve. So I think it's super important to uh, not come in and want to change everything, uh, but understand, first of all, uh, why stuff happened, how it happened. And uh, just just to be clear, huh, the Chris's uh, uh, tactic is, uh, I think, is a, is a great one. I mean, you know, like uh, one two weeks after he he joined the company, usually he pops up at some you know barbecues and 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 you know uh, movings and, and and Christmas parties and all that stuff. So this this guy is really you know down with down with the troops, uh, you know, uh, all the way and 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 really gets in depth. A view of 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 the product and that you know shows again how important it is to have somebody who is yeah not just you know like superficially interested but but really you know uh, from from the yeah from the heart engaged uh, with not just with the team but also with the product right so uh, it's it's uh, uh, sounds easy but there's a lot of work that that uh, that that chris for example puts into exactly this approach to understand the why huh mm. And in addition to 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 this, I would say uh, what I like is a, I, I found it in a book. It's it's called the Stars Framework, right? So so I think that 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 can that can help people to to figure out right what what is why are you being hired, right? That's uh, Tom, you, you asked this question as well, right? Like why do why do they bring you in, right? So is it the team that's already successful and you just need to you know ensure continued success? You know that's one way of of doing things. Is it a turnaround case, right? Where where you know the product is is having significant difficulties or the team has significant difficulties? Uh, you know uh, is it a startup where you start a team from uh, you know is it uh, where you start a team from scratch or is it a bit of a realignment that's necessary so there's like you know four or five you know theoretical situations any given team can be in and and i think you really have to understand like chris said why you know why you're there what's the problem and and uh, you have to adjust accordingly and you know the more experience you have the more different hats you can wear right there are some managers who can only do turnarounds there are some managers who only can do realignments or continuous success and again the more you know the more experience you bring the more confident you are uh, uh, you know, the more versatile are you going to be and the more useful you're going to be for, for the company that hires you. That's great. So, so Patrick, I think we talked about this at, at one point, but um, really it's the idea that uh, the more people know, the better they're able to act and be empowered. So, you know, if I am an artist or a game designer and I understand whether I can do it or not, programming or how difficult it's going to be, you know, I, I could design something that's just going to take like weeks and weeks to implement. But if I know, oh, I can make this small tweak and they can do that in like five minutes of dev, um, you know, as well as understanding, you know, the, the complete picture of the game, like the life cycle of the UA and how everything is, is tied together and stuff. Um, how do you promote that type of culture and learning within your game team so that everyone really understands how all of what they're doing actually ties into the big picture? 
I think there are like uh, the way the way that uh, that you asked the question. I think there are two uh, aspects that that we could dive into. The, the first one is you know understanding the why. You know why are we there? Why is you know why does the company exist? Why does the game exist? Why does the team exist? That's one thing. And then the other one is the technical understanding of like you know uh, let's use the example of a, of a technical artist. We uh, in, in in another project we hired a technical artist who who really understood you know uh, how to bring you know art and and the developers together. It, it saved us you know tremendous amounts of time. And money just because you know this person was able to translate uh, so again you have you have the you have the kind of like why from a philosophical kind of point of view and you have the why from it you know i understand the um i understand the um uh, the workings of uh, or the inner workings of a game i think both are really important um i think for you know the first uh, the philosophical why it's it's really the, the the job of the of the of the product manager to you know to iterate to to you know talk about it over and over again to show people that whatever they do on a daily basis has an impact right uh, uh, do reviews of of updates and you know uh, give people the opportunity from the team to to stand up in front of everybody and you know kind of like celebrate you know their small improvements that that had you know a big impact um and for the for the second part yeah i do think you really need to be great at 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 hiring or at promoting people that that have some cross um what do you call it like some cross professional knowledge right uh, those those links between the teams uh, could be a project managers in many cases it is a project manager that makes sure that people are uh, informed about it uh, could be even a tool sometimes you know that 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 you utilizing but i think again mostly it comes down to comes down to people um uh, to be um yeah, to 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 care and and also to know, right? To be good and to be engaged. I think those two things. Awesome. Well, I, I know we're about at time here, so I've I've got one more question for you guys, and uh, I think it'll be a fun one. Um, so I, I honestly never would have believed this until I actually experienced it and saw it. But uh, marketing user acquisition can have uh, drastic impacts on like KPIs and stuff, depending on who they acquire, right? Um, which when you think about it, makes sense. But I, I kind of figured, oh, you know, you get every user in and you just kind of track and they all have the same LTVs and stuff. Well, that can be very different if you get different people that don't like the game as much. Um, how connected do you guys think marketing and product should be in terms of like understanding the audience, understanding the KPIs, the LTVs of these users that you're doing, as well as like, you know, features or events, like should that be incorporated into the marketing? You know, what is the right working relationship of a marketing team and a product team to just have the best outcome in a game? Mm, yeah, maybe I can start here. Um, I would say in, in general, especially for this topic, I think it makes sense and it's really important that the teams are really working close together. So I would say to have even somebody within the product team that comes from marketing, like product marketing manager or whoever you will uh, call it, um, makes a lot of sense because I think there are some overlaps. We already tackled this topic also a bit earlier to understand really the audiences to come up with a roadmap to also get the featureings from the stores all this is connected and their content and marketing needs to go hand in hand because uh, i also know um out of my experience when when companies do a lot on marketing side but are not connected to the uh, game team what it ends up is that you waste resources into um, yeah some tools to get users into your game that are then not sticking and that's i think the worst outcome that marketing can have but also that the game team can have and i think to be aligned there and to actually work on the same metrics and the same kpis as the goal to improve is really important so i think there should be a close sync in every um yeah, measurement that both sides are doing i i i agree i think the the the, the overlap should be you know 100 percent or near 100 percent um, uh, I think those, if they're not already part of the team, because I also know some setups where, you know, the product owner is, is, you know, either in charge of, or, you know, it works as a, a kind of like a double headed spear, uh, together with, the, with the marketing guy, um, uh, for exactly the same reason that Chris mentioned and for the same reason that, that you just uh, talked about, I think the, th the thing that could kill the product, the easiest way is, is, you know, uh, when you have a great product, but, uh, you know, uh, the wrong audience or, you know, the wrong audience and a great product. Um, yeah, 100%. I think it's an easy answer. Um, the, the closer, the better. Awesome. Well, guys, this has been fantastic. Uh, so glad to have you. Uh, hopefully we can do this again. Um, are there any other final thoughts uh, related to games or gaming product teams that uh, you guys would like to leave? 
I just wanted to say, uh, yeah, thank you for having me because uh, for me, it's the first time doing such a format and um, I'm really happy to finally uh, also move out of the comfort zone and I hope it, I really like the talk and I hope it was informative. So yeah, thanks. And um, as you mentioned, I would be happy to continue the discussion because we already addressed some topics and I don't want to bring fun again uh, that we could uh, discuss in a separate uh, talk. Well, next time we'll try to define, you know, what is fun in a game. <laughs> yes, that will be great. But then we should also invite, as I said, right, uh, just to, to whoever is listening to also make some emotions here. Uh, we should also bring a game designer so that we have a re representative there as well, ah, right? I love it. Then I'll bring an agile coach. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you for having us. Tom, as always, a pleasure. Thanks a lot for having us. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Bye.